0: What do I need to do to weigh the odds so heavily in my favor that I know before I've even run the ad that it won? You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers.
1: Hey, welcome back to The Truth About Marketing. Uh, Great show today with uh, a copywriter that everybody in our industry knows of, but uh, that they don't know a lot about. We're talking today to Paris Lampropoulos. And yes, I know how to say and spell his name, so... Uh, I feel very privileged for that. (laughs) His copy, uh, particularly in the personal health market, is uh, most definitely legendary. His controls have mailed millions of pieces for the major publishers like Rodale and Boardroom. And he's one of the faces on Brian Kurtz's Mount Rushmore of copywriters, which I'm sure he has printed and uh, hanging above his bed at home. And uh, he's a great guy that you uh, just don't hear enough from. And I don't think that'll change because he keeps a low profile. And I got him here today. So I'm excited to welcome my buddy, Paris Lampropolis to the show. Thanks for being here, bro. Hey, brother. Glad to be here. Really appreciate it. This is going to be insightful because uh, you're a guy who I know you're very passionate about this craft of ours. Obviously, nobody could have the success you do and not be passionate about it. But um, what a lot of people may not know is you're a great teacher of copy. And I've had the privilege of being on the other side of one of your critiques. And man, in about 20 minutes, um, you taught me two or three things that instantly shifted how I see not just copywriting, but writing. So let's start there. Um, uh, At what point did you sort of discover that you enjoyed teaching writing as opposed to just writing it?
0: Uh, I've always enjoyed teaching. Hmm. I always had a knack for it. And if you read my copy, I am actually teaching in my copy. So anybody who gets one of my ads... Uh, whether it's in their inbox on the computer, or it's in their mailbox at home, uh, you're going to learn something when you read it.
1: Mm, that's the truth. Yeah, and so so yeah. so, so, so you're, you the teaching began in the right. Was that something when you started? Was that a revelation you had along the way that? you know, the power of, of copy is is to have teaching moments inside of it or is that something you had to learn?
0: Um, I was taught it by Clayton Makepeace who learned it from Gary Bensavenga. but when he taught it to me, I immediately knew that that was true um, because I looked back at some of the magalogs I'd gotten in my mailbox and I said, oh yeah, right. So um, what... You see, there's a lot of talk about it nowadays. You know, give away content. They call it content now, right? We didn't call it content back in the day. But you know, Eben Pagan uh, popularized the term "move the free line," right? Right. But you know, Gary Bensavenga was moving the free line, you know, 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, and so Clayton told me that he basically read Gary's copy and reverse engineered it. Said, "Ah, so this is how you write a megalog," hmm. and when I was uh, an apprentice of Clayton's, he said, this is what you do. You write bullets, and you're going to write a lot of bullets, and a lot of them it's going to be a great bullet, but the answer is going to be disappointing. Like if you write a bullet that says, the only way to get rid of cellulite, forget seaweed-wrapped thigh creams and blah, 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 this is the only proven way. And you're like, wow, i got to know this. And you buy the book, and the answer is diet and exercise, right? (laughs) That's an example of a bullet where the answer is disappointing. Mm. But sometimes the answer is not disappointing. And not only is it not disappointing, but it's even better than the bullet. It's like a light bulb. It's a revelation. It's a Mm. forehead slapper, Mm. right? Clayton used to call them forehead slappers. And those are the things you want to reveal in your copy. And so you're teaching people stuff. You are changing their life you are very often you're changing their paradigm you know what you said a moment ago that uh, you know I gave you that critique and to change the way you look at copy yeah that's the goal you want to change the way people look at the world
1: yeah that's great yeah that's huge and how do you know uh, when you're when you're accomplishing that I mean obviously we, we have to test but when you're writing when you're in the moment uh, is, is there is there a feeling you get or your own little uh, forehead slap moment yeah. where you're like, ah, that, I got one. That's it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You feel a little tingle. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Dude, yeah. You do. Yeah. Um, and uh, see, I tend to be better. I tend to have a stronger, um, a more, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? A more sensitive tuning fork, let's say. Mm hmm. Right? Where, where, where I can feel that tingle where somebody else might not feel it, or I can see something that other people don't see um, to a degree. You know, there's some stuff that everybody's going to say, wow, you know. There's other stuff that maybe the way it was presented in the material, let's say it's a book the boardroom put out, and the way they wrote it is okay, but the way we copywriters write it is better because we really bring home. Point right. We get people to see the benefit of the benefit, right? Right. That's why they pay us the big bucks. That's why the guy who wrote the book can't write the copy, right? Right, right. So, um, where was I going with this? Um, I I seem to have a more sensitive uh, tuning fork than a lot of people, but there's ways to develop that skill and become better at it. And there's questions you can ask for yourself when you're reading. So, one question I always ask myself is. Um, one thing that I always write down is if I didn't know this before, right? Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of reading about health, right? I've been doing this for 20 some odd years now, 26 years. I've been in the copywriting business, probably writing health copy for 22 years. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's kind of hard to tell me something I didn't already know. Cause I'm doing this all day long. Right. So when, so, when I read something, and I go, wow, I didn't know that boom. Right there, that's a sign that maybe this is something I need to reveal in the piece.
1: Interesting. Um, and so, is it one of those things, you talk about this this tuning fork. I think that's fascinating. That's one of those, we could call it an intangible, but let's talk a little bit about how somebody can tune up their, their tuning fork or, or make it more sensitive. Um, obviously, a lot of it is is research, just really understanding the market, right? But we're also, I think we're talking about, it's, it's a little more instinctive than that. I mean, it's almost, I would think, a little bit harder to get the tingle because you have this curse of knowledge. Like you said, you, That's you, right. basically nothing you don't know about this, uh, about health and wellness and how people's bodies work and why they break down and what to do to fix it. So how do you, how do you make sure that you're not overlooking a tingler just because you know too much?
0: Oh, I am overlooking them. Mm. But it doesn't matter. See, the fact that I know more makes it harder for me to tingle, which means if it's tingling me, it's gonna tingle everybody.
1: Yeah, gotcha. So, so, so you... it's, a
0: very, it's a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Right? Every year the bar keeps getting raised higher and higher and higher, no matter what niche you write for. Mm-hmm. Pick a niche, okay? You're going to people who've heard it a hundred times before. They've heard every claim under the sun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it starts off with these fringe niches and then becomes so well-known that it's a part of the popular culture that even, like, the people who read, you know, the National Enquirer know it, right?
1: Right. Let's let's take, like, not the you asked for an example, but let's just take, like, Bulletproof Coffee, something that... Never heard of that. What is that? <laughs> Something that uh, didn't exist a couple of years ago, and now it, there's a whole culture around it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can leave it there. Okay. It's a,
0: uh, it's a fucking cult, is what it is.
1: <laughs> it is, and I'm, I'm jacked up on it right now. Um, yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, every event we go to, right? Every time we go somewhere, they've got the, 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 the decanter with the bulletproof. Right.
1: Cover. I love it. It's my favorite part. People-
0: Standing there behind the counter making you your bulletproof. Yeah,
1: or, and they get all these samples of different, you know, Dave's latest, you know, supplement right. fix. And I'm like, uh, you know, I feel like I'm almost like, yeah, like you said, it's like being at a drug convention. I'm like, oh, you didn't mix those two, did you? It's like, you know, you're either going to be bouncing off the walls or you're going to crap your pants within an hour. But uh. That's what
0: happened to me. I was bouncing off the walls. I was so wired. So I stopped the bulletproof coffee. But I'm very sensitive to caffeine. But I'm a big fan of the bars. I'm on auto ship on those bad boys. I get two two, uh, cases every time they ship them.
1: Yeah, those are delicious. Awesome. Um, Okay, so let's uh, talk about... um, I want to go back to the first time, early days. Let's go back to vintage Paris. Um, Not that you're a very old person, but uh, (laughs) I remember back in the day... um, Yeah, free internet (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The first time you wrote something that produced a sale. Yeah. What was it and how did that feel?
0: (laughs) Okay. So it was my own product, right? I was a real estate broker at the time and I wrote a book on how to sell your home in a declining market. Mm. Because this was like 1990 when um, the market had collapsed and people were upside down and couldn't sell their homes and stuff. And that's how I got into this business. I, I, you know, I was a real estate salesperson and then I became the sales manager of this office and I wanted to learn about marketing and lo and behold, you know, when the, when the what's that saying, when the uh, student is ready, the teacher appears, right? You're right. Uh, just like magic, like serendipity, uh, I get, open my mailbox and there's a pitch for the Gary Halpert letter. Mm-hmm. And the headline was, how do uh what was it, how to get people to line up and beg you to take their money. (laughs) And I read this thing and I'm like, oh my God, I have to have this. Have you ever had that experience where like you have to buy it, like you just, you will not be able to sleep that night if you don't buy this, right? Oh yeah, for sure. You You had it with the Gary Benzivanga ham, I think.
1: That's absolutely Um, right.
0: And it's so great to experience that because after I experienced that, my goal as a copywriter became, how do I replicate that? How do we make other people experience that? I don't want people to just buy, like, well, like, I don't care. I mean, I do want them to buy. I don't care how they buy. But ideally, you know your copy's great if it does more than just make them say, oh, yeah, maybe I'll buy this. Or, you know, like you're buying something in a you know, catalog or something. You know what I mean? Or Yeah, shoes,
1: yeah I, or I call it the why can't I live without it factor.
0: Yeah. You want them to feel that, and you do that by tapping into the deepest parts of their soul, which is a whole other, uh, uh, you know, that's like a four-hour conversation. But um, so anyway, it it affected me that way, and then I learned how to affect people that way. And so I bought it, and there was a chapter in Gary Halbert's book on how to sell information through the mail. And I said, oh, I'm going to write a book on how to get people to sell their home in the declining market. So uh, the first thing I did is I wrote the sales letter. Hmm. And I made every outlandish promise I could think of in the sales letter. <laughs> and then after that, I said, okay, now all I have to do is write a book that pays these promises off so that they're true, hmm. which is a great way to do it. In fact, I would say it's the correct way to do it. You write the sales pitch first, then you create the book to pay off those promises.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm going um, inter- to Okay, go ahead. I'm going to come back to that, but go ahead.
0: Okay, so I did that, right? I wrote the sales letter. I wrote the book. I put it in the mail. And the first time I did it, it bombed. I got zero response. Hmm. And um, so I called Gary Halbert's office frantic. Can somebody help <laughs> me? Cause, you know, I'm, I'm charging this shit on my credit cards. I didn't have any money. You know, I was hmm. over in debt." Um, and behind on my rent did everything and I'm like charging on my credit cards to make this mailing work. And, um, <clears throat> Gary put me in touch with a, uh, copywriter on the West coast named Brad Peterson, uh, who continues to be a good friend to this day. And Brad was doing something at the time. They were cheapy critiques it was like 500 bucks or something. You know, this is 1990, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, he looked at my copy and he said, you know what? Your copy's pretty good. But your opening is all wrong. Hmm. Um, See, I didn't, I I had this, all this, because I was modeling the doom and gloom shit that I was getting in the mail from Agora. Mm -hmm. So I made it like a doom and gloom piece. If you don't sell your house now, it's only going to get worse. And, you know, the tragedy and all this shit, right? Hmm. So he said, they already know they want to sell their house, (laughs) right? Delete the first two pages, start here. So I did it. And I remailed it, and it pulled a 3% response.
1: Fantastic. Wow. So that was, yes. When you're,
0: when you're doing this in the old days, Kevin, before PayPal and before everything else, yeah. and you're actually getting envelopes in your mailbox, you open your fucking mailbox, and it's stuffed with these envelopes, mm-hmm. and there's checks in them from mm-hmm. strangers who you've never seen before. I mean, I was hooked. It's like, you know, heroin, <laughs> you know, just yeah. like,
1: yeah. That's amazing. It, yeah, the first time it happened, it, uh, bring us back to that moment. You open your mail because you don't know if it's going to work or not. Like you said, right? You you you're going broke trying to make this thing work. And right. so, what's like the time frame? So you mail out the new uh, batch of of, of of ads, of letters, and what do we got? Two weeks there before you see a result.
0: It, with first class mail, the doubling date is seven days. Seven so days. That's- Seven days, you know what, you, whatever you got then is 50% of your response, pretty much.
1: Okay. And you walk out to the mailbox, you open it, and, I mean, it's Christmas morning.
0: Yeah, like, you know, the first few days you're opening it and there's nothing there, right? <laughs> you go, fuck, I'm going to go through this again. <laughs> nothing, right? And then it reminds me of a time we had this party in college. And, and um, we invited all these people and, like, nobody showed up. And we're just standing there like, fuck. <laughs> Were we like, the most unpopular people in this dorm, right? And then within 15 minutes, the place was packed with, like, wall-to-wall and beautiful chicks and all this stuff. So it's kind of like that same feeling, right? You're yeah. wondering, what the hell? And then one day, I open it, and there's three checks in there, and then the next day, there's eight checks, and then the next day, there's 30 checks, and, you know, you're like, holy shit.
1: Wow, yeah. It's, it, 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 I always say, when you get that the first sale, it just... It changes you on a cellular level because now anything's possible.
0: It's true. Halbert used to talk about how he um, failed so many times and how um, he would literally be sitting in the dark. He and his wife would be sitting in the dark because they didn't have money to pay the electric bill, right? Mm. And then he wrote that coat of arms letter. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And what was it doing like? I forget the numbers, but they were insane numbers. Tens of millions of dollars of, like, like it was crazy. It was like half a million dollars a week or something nutty. I don't remember, but if you go on the Gary Halbert letter and look up that issue, the amazing uh, direct mail secret of a nerd from Ohio, he talks all about it. Like they needed, like, 12 full-time employees just to do the deposit slips for the (laughs) bank deposits. It was nuts, right? So, after that, it was just one hit after another for him, mm-hmm. because now you know you can do it, right? Right? right. It's like that Harry Potter movie where uh, the the Prisoner of Azkaban, where he's trying to summon up the Patronus, and he can't do it. But then when they go back in time, he does it because he knows he did it. Do you know what I'm? Do you know the one I'm talking uh, about? I don't,
1: but I'm all right, following. Whatever. You. It's
0: um, your kids are younger than mine. My kids, we were in the thick of all that stuff, right? So. um... And anybody who's familiar with the books, Hermione says to him, how'd you do it? How'd... He goes, well, I knew I could do it because I had done it before.
1: <laughs> right,
0: right. So it's the same deal. Once you do it, now you know you can do it. It's your mind believes it and therefore it happens. I mean, like everything else in life, confidence is like probably like 70% of everything, right?
1: That's So true. Well, it's and, and it's not just for yourself. It's for, for, for an industry. I mean, it's Roger Bannister breaking the four minute mile
0: exactly
1: uh, yeah and then suddenly yeah. it just became of course like that was the new standard it, it, you know you're nobody until you do that right so yeah um that's great great stuff so um okay and now let's talk about um your career arc because you at what point are you now just copywriter for hire
0: so the early years, even though I was getting a 3% response on that letter, I was still losing money hmm. because I didn't know anything about business. I didn't, you know, my, my costs were too high for my mailings. My price point was too high for my product. I didn't have a back end. I mean, I was a total idiot. I didn't know anything. I just, you know, happened to know how to write copy. And by the way, because I didn't know anything, and, and I didn't know 3% was a good response, I felt, I felt like everybody's going to buy this. Right?
1: <laughs> right. Right.
0: And and so um, I remember telling somebody who worked at one of the ad agencies on Madison Avenue, I only got three percent response. Three percent—that's good. And I'm like, why am I losing my shirt, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, since I didn't know, I thought the copy was the problem, so I kept tinkering with it and testing things, and I got it up to six percent. Wow. And because I because I didn't know, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> So. You, you know, how I learned how to copy, write copy was basically by getting myself further and further. Yeah. In, you, you had,
1: right, and plus <laughs> have, having a 100% response rate standard for yourself.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly, right. That, that, that was that, the that's, goal. But, by the way, that's my standard today. That's my goal. I <laughs> that's, want that's everybody nice. to buy. I want to close the entire room, right? Yeah. So um, I uh, went to this seminar Uh, you know, I had done some, I did some other products and I finally got to the point where some of my stuff was making money, but I wasn't making a ton of money on it, right? I wasn't scaling up fast enough and all that stuff. Um, so I went to this seminar in Las Vegas that was one of those, it wasn't, I don't think it was really a pitch fest, but there it was a low price seminar and there were a lot of speakers. Ted Nicholas was there, um, uh, Dan Kennedy, a bunch of people, right? And, um, This was in the early 90s, and it was in Las Vegas. And I go there, and I see that there's 500 people in the room. So that night, I went to Kinko's, and I wrote a sales letter selling myself as a freelance copywriter. Hmm. And um, I I made 500 copies. And the next day, I stood in front of the convention center handing them out to people as I walked in. And I got four gigs out of that. And I was pricing super low because I just wanted to get some Samples under my belt. And so I I struggled for a while until, you know, um, I, I met this guy, John Finn, and he got me some uh, gigs and then I just started getting a reputation and, and becoming like a, you know, working copywriter, making a decent living. Like my first four years, I doubled my income every year, four years in a row.
1: Yeah. Yeah. John Finn, the legendary sort of agent for copywriters, uh, I don't think anyone like that exists anymore, but he, I know, was instrumental. in. does, it,
0: but yeah, I don't know. I haven't spoken to him in a long time.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so um, fantastic. Now, today, I want to get into some of the psychology here. Um, I mentioned on Facebook that uh, you were going to be my guest, and people were pretty crazy. So we actually got some decent questions that I, I want to get into. And give, I want, to, I want to give the people a shot at your brain. Uh, but real quickly, I want to go back to what you said about the writing the ad first. Yeah. Um, now, I love that as a product owner, but I could tell you this is something I warn against because uh, there are clients, potential clients out there in certain industries, like I don't want to mention any, uh, oh, BizOp, where. Uh, that's how they think it works. They'll come to a copywriter and they'll say, hey, man, just write me an ad that you know is going to crush it. I don't care what you say, and I'll make a product that backs it up. Right? Great concept. However, uh, when it comes to actually creating the product that backs it up, they don't want to eliminate any part of some crazy outrageous promise that they fear might, you know, reduce sales and what you end up with is a really, you know, oftentimes a bad product, a lot of refunds and ruined reputations. So, you yeah, we need to get your thoughts on on that, you know, twist on the scenario.
0: And my thoughts are fuck them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> look, you've got to work with ethical clients, honest clients. Yeah. You've got to work with clients who, when you even tell them this idea about writing the ad first, it makes them a little uncomfortable. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's this yin and yang, right? Um, if you look at some of the greatest partnerships in history in any field, there was always like these, um, this yin and yang to it, right? Like Lenin's. Being sardonic and McCartney being sentimental, and I know that McCartney would argue with that characterization, and it is an oversimplification. But you you see what I'm talking about, right? Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's like when you go to the Chinese restaurant, you order sweet and sour, right? Right. Um, so uh, you know, I will um, I will come up with crazy outrageous stuff, but I always want to make sure that stuff we pay off right and I'll talk to the guru or whoever it is and we'll talk it through and sometimes you can and sometimes you can't but you will be amazed at the kinda crazy ass shit that you can find out you can make stuff up and then go out and find out that it's actually true Mm -hmm. um so one time I came up with this idea you know what I want I want a pill that's so good for your heart that um there were people who are on the waiting list to get a heart transplant And then they started taking this and they got off the transplant list. Mm. Lo and behold, we found a study showing this, very phenomenon, about CoQ10. Okay, another example, um, (laughs) one time uh, I I got roped into writing a um, uh, um, package for this uh, male performance product. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boost your testosterone and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And I said, you know what I want? I want to find out something that, you know, these Chinese emperors who had harems where they had 40 wives, and the reason the guy was able to do it is because he was taking this herb. <laughs> <laughs> and I made it up, just I made the thing up, looked it up, sure enough, on a .edu site, okay? Not some crazy nonsense, not some other guy selling supplements, but a reputable .edu site talked about, how uh, in the ancient times the they, uh, the Chinese emperors had all these women in their harem and they were required to have sex with nine women per night because nine is a sacred number in Chinese numerology. Mm-hmm. And they believed that when the uh, – well, I've already dropped death bombs, so I can certainly talk about, you know, mm-hmm. penis and stuff like that, right? Sure. So that when the man puts the penis inside the woman – is absorbing yang energy from her and they called it the drinking from the jade fountain. And so the emperor was required to have sex with nine women in a row um, so that he could get all the yang energy from them or yin, I get mixed up, which one's feminine, which one's masculine. But anyway, and he wasn't allowed to climax because they felt that climaxing drains you of the energy. The only time you're allowed to climax is for procreation. So, Every night, nine women would come into the emperor's bedroom from his harem. He would have sex with them one after the other, and then only climax for the final woman because that was the one he was supposed to impregnate.
1: Wow! What a what a, what a hook!
0: That was the hook, right? And the uh, the package kicked ass.
1: Amazing! Wow! And so. I mean you can't ask for a better outcome than that coming across something like drinking from the jade fountain. i like, <laughs> thank <laughs> yeah. you copy gods.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: So I love that. Okay, so the lesson here is uh yes, be creative, start with the outlandish, uh but you don't you have to back it down or you have right. to edit for accuracy and 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 honesty. That's what our buddy
0: John Carlton said.
1: He does talk about that a lot. Yeah, it's a great Let's talk about that go Go too far
0: and then back it down because it's easier to back it down. It's always easy to back it down. Whereas it's very difficult to breathe life into lifeless copy, right? Right. If there's right. no juice in the copy, good luck getting it up there. So start with more juice than you need and back it down.
1: Great lesson. Uh, of yin is female. Yang is male. For those listeners, I don't want open loops. I want them in the moment with us. <laughs> All right. Um, So uh, let's go to Facebook here. And uh, and here's. I thought this was a uh, cool – I don't know if the question was great. Your answer was great. Um, And so the question is – sorry, I want to get this right. It was about client relationships. So obviously a a freelancer here. And they asked for your top three or five or seven (coughs) – Uh, depending on how many you want to give up, tips for having a strong client relationship. What do you you say to that?
0: It's very simple. Don't overthink this. There's only three things the client cares about, that the copy makes money, that you deliver the copy on time, and that you're pleasant to work with and not a pain in the ass. And that's basically it. That's all they care about, right?
1: Right, so true.
0: If you are like a um, superstar who, like, continually gives amazing results, um, they might forgive you on the other two things, at least for a while. Yeah. You know, after a while, it becomes like, you're making a deal with the devil. I don't care how much money this guy makes us. He's an asshole. I don't want to work with him. But, you know, you can get away with being a dick and you can get away with being not great about deadlines if you're a superstar on response, right? Yeah. Um, If you're... Mediocre on response, you better be good at the other two. <laughs> you be on time and you better be a pleasant to work with. And you know what? There's a lot of journeymen, sort of B level, whatever you want to call them, writers out there who continue to get work, who continue to make a good living year after year mm. for those very reasons. They're yeah. dependable because copywriters are notoriously undependable, right? Yeah. So when the client gets one who's dependable, that, that's like a big deal. And okay, we'll deal with him. He gives us you know decent results he's not knocking it out of the park but we'll 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 take that we'll work with him and then we'll hire somebody else we'll hire this guy um to do the package and then we'll get paris who takes forever with to deliver copy and pay him to beat the control
1: right right yeah good point so that there you go i like that that's a great lesson for for writers and for clients, because that's one strategy you could have. Because let's face it, these you know supposed you know when we call them a list copywriters are extremely rare, uh, very hard to hire uh, and afford. And a good way to do it is to find a dependable copywriter who does get results, and you know mail it, see how it does. If you feel like you can do better, you bring in a guy like Paris. You bring in a guy like Deutsch. To uh, to to see what's missing and take it to the next level.
0: Yeah, so I'm good at like number one and number three. I'm good, you know. I'm I'm yeah, at least yeah, they tell yeah. me
1: I'm I'm good to work with. Yeah, you're, you're 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 a very very good guy, and obviously your stuff performs amazingly well. But you subscribe to the idea that uh, deadlines are a suggestion.
0: You know, to a degree. I mean. There's a, Carlton says this, there's a hard deadline and a soft deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with a company like Boardroom or Rodale, where they were doing a soft offer, everybody knows what soft offer means. It's a, it's a bill me. You're not paying, you're not giving them a credit card, or giving them cash with the order. They bill you later. Yeah. So what that means is the thing goes out in the mail. You have to wait for the doubling date to know what the response is going to be and the doubling dates longer on third class mail than first class, so that takes a while. Now you know which package won and brought in the most orders, but now after they've got the orders, you have to wait another thirty days to see if people pay or or not, because mm-hmm. it's a billing offer. Do they pay or do they send the book back and not pay you, right? Or write cancel on the invoice if it's a newsletter or a magazine. Right? Right. And so because of that long mailing cycle Boardroom for most of their products only mails twice a year, hmm. and so you cannot miss that deadline. Right, you've got to make that deadline come hell or high water. Whereas if you're doing something for Agora, um, New Market Health, let's say they're mailing like practically every month. Actually, they st- they're not in direct mail anymore. But let's take uh, my client Soundview Publications or Advanced BioNutritionals. They're mailing pretty much every month. So if They'd rather that I give them the copy as great as I want it to be and make the next mailing than to give them something that I just rushed in just to make this mailing, and it's not as good as I want it to be.
1: Right, right. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're on page with you about what matters is getting the copy right. It, it shouldn't, shouldn't mail until it's ready. But like you said, there are times when what we got has got to get out.
0: Yeah, and you know, there's a, there's a whole mindset thing here about doing what's right for the client. Yeah. But I take it even a step beyond that. I look at the end user, the customer of the client, mm. who buys the products from the client. That's who the one I really want to do right by. Mm. Right? Yeah. So you start with that in mind, that you're going to do right for these people who want a certain result in their life. And when you do right for them, you're doing right for the client because the client prospers. And when the client prospers, you prosper.
1: I like that. And so is the idea, that the thing running in your head is, uh, I'm not doing right by the the customer because I've yet to properly convince them how badly they need this or how much it can help them.
0: Right. Or I have improved it. mm haven't, uh, you know, um, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll turn down clients because I don't think the products are good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, anytime, always, if I don't believe in the product, I turn down the gig. And, and that's hard to do when you're starting out. But Jim Rutz had a great quote. He said, God will not let you starve wow. if you turn down an unethical client. Okay. And John Carlton tells a story um, about how, you know, he, he was broke, he needed the money really badly, but he said, no, I'm not doing it. And the next day, he got a call from another guy with a better offer for better money for a better product and all this, right? And I've had it happen to me and lots of people. Uh, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to believe, you have to have faith, because I, I think things really do work that way. Yeah, I agree. Albert used to say, there's no wasted energy in the universe. You know, I had this time where I spent a ton of money, right? a ton of time writing this um, promotion, and then the client pulled the plug on it and never mailed it. And Halbert said, uh, it's going to come back to you in some way. Maybe the knowledge you gained from this, you'll be able to use on a future promotion. Or maybe even some of the copy, you'll be able to recycle it. Maybe the guy who's working at that client will go work somewhere else, and then he'll hire you for another gig for more money. Maybe some other, rela- somewhere, somehow, it's going to come back to you. Mm-hmm. And he was right. And so I've to- I tell this to people now whenever they have setbacks. I always bring that up. There's no wasted energy in the universe, it's going to come back to you. You don't know yet how, but in some way, shape, or form, it's going to come back to you.
1: That's great. I-, I like to say there's no such thing as time wasted writing.
0: that again because there was another call coming in and I heard a click and I missed oh, okay
1: uh, it. the way I uh, phrase that is there's no such thing as time wasted writing there's no
0: such thing as time wasted writing
1: yeah meaning if you spent time writing there's no possible way that that was wasted time it, it made you better uh, basically for the same reasons Halbert said. I'll give you, my example was that uh, uh, before Google Drive, a couple of times I lost entire Word documents. Uh, yeah. You yeah. Know? like full sales letters. And it's it's a nightmare. And, I, you know, after spending two days searching everywhere I possibly could to recover his document, you get to that moment where you go, that's it, it's gone. I gotta let it go and I gotta start over because I got a deadline. And... Uh, lo and behold, the next draft is better. It and, is better. <laughs> and and in, that's, you know, so no, no such and thing as I know as it's
0: better because what ended up happening is I found the old draft afterwards and looked <laughs> at the, the new one was better. And yeah. by the way, if you um, just start rewriting right away, you know, there's that moment where you want to just start, like, punching the walls and throwing <laughs> shit. Yeah. But if you just say, I'll beat up the walls later, let me write this and you just start typing like a fiend, you'll be surprised at how close you can get to recreating verbatim what you lost. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Great point. Um, Okay. Um, Let's talk about... uh, I want to build up to the big essential question, but I certainly don't want to rush things. Um, Let's talk about... uh, uh, I'm curious about how you retain information. I think everybody... I think you can optimize your memory to some degree, but I think some people just have a better gift for, for memory than others. Um, and I'm always struck by the story Brian Kurtz tells about when he was diagnosed with cancer, his first call was to an oncologist and his second call was to you. Yeah. Because he knew that you'd written so much about this topic that there were very few people on the planet who knew more about it. Um, how do you feel about your knowledge of of the, do you feel like you have great recall of all these facts or is it sort of like a a working file folder that you get to go back through and and remember stuff that you learned?
0: Uh, I used to have a great memory, not so much anymore, but um, whether you do or you don't, you can learn a lot of stuff through sheer repetition. Hmm. I, it's the whole um, thing behind that Pimsler, right? Pimsler language thing. Yeah. It was all about the properly spaced repetitions. So <clears throat> when I te- I would teach my copy cubs all this stuff. We would have these weekly calls and then I'd find myself 2 months later talking about something and it's like I was saying it for the first time. They didn't remember it. Hmm. I was like But we talked about this. We already went through this, right? And then I saw that sales letter Chris Adad wrote for the (laughs) Pimsler Learning, Mm -hmm. and I went, Ah, it's rest-based repetition. Okay, so uh, I went, um, I went online and googled Pimsler and found out, you know, found like some of his old articles that he had written and all this stuff. And I said, Okay, I'm going to start doing this. So what we do at our Copy Cup calls is, I will present some information. I will teach whatever the lesson of the week is. And then their homework, uh, we will record the call. Their homework is to listen to the call and to write down their takeaways. Mm. Okay? So we present the information on the call itself. That's number one. They listen to the call. That's the second time they're getting the information. The third time is when they're writing the takeaways. On the following call, we begin with a review of the takeaways from the last call. They submit their takeaways. Everybody reads everybody else's takeaways. Everybody present theirs on the call. So that's four or five repetitions within a week span. And once I started doing that, people were retaining stuff a lot better. Mm.
1: That's great. Now,
0: about the prostate thing, um, you know, after I wrote that real estate book and didn't make money on it, I said, well, what other products can I do? So again you know, Halbert said, here's the categories that are perennial categories. One of them is flat abs, so I did a flat abs product. One of them is prostate, so I did a prostate product. So I acquired the rights to this book on prostate health and sold that through the mail, actually rewrote the book. So I was kind of like, took what the guy wrote and rewrote it in a better way. So I was kind of almost like a ghostwriter, but more like a, I guess more like an editor. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was a major rewrite. And so I learned a lot about prostate health from that. And then since then, I've learned a lot about all kinds of stuff because, again, when you're doing something day in and day out for 20 years, you know, you're going to learn a lot about it.
1: Yeah. There's a great book. Um, I don't know if it's a great book, but it's a, it's a good book from William Zinzer, who you probably know um, yeah. uh, from On Writing Well, called Writing to Learn. Never heard of that book. Yeah, it's a good one. I'll send you a copy. Uh, and it's 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 uh, really struck me this concept because I know for me it's very similar to what you said. I actually hadn't heard of this, this is a spaced repetition, but if I really truly need to learn something, I have to write about it. I be- essentially it's like they say: there's no better way to learn than to teach, right? And it's so, absolutely true. Yeah, if if, if you force yourself <laughs> to disseminate the information and repeat it. And it's interesting. It's like you say, it's like sometimes, it's interesting what we will recall. Uh, sometimes I'll, uh, I remember recently, I was listening to an interview with Cal Fussman and he told this amazing story and I repeated it to my son a couple of days later and I was amazed at how well I remembered the story. And then since then it was like there, it's in my catalog. It's a go-to story I can quote, right? But had I not uh, repeated it, within that time frame, I'm sure it would have been lost forever.
0: Uh, Yeah, maybe. But you also said that this was a good story. So there's the stickiness factor Mm -hmm. of the story itself, right? True, right. There's that great book, Made to Stick. Every copywriter should read it. Not once, not twice, but, you know, at least three times. Made to Stick by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. So that's a big part of what we do, too, when we write our copy. We make sure our copy's sticky.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Truth About Marketing Podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes. Just log in, click review, leave a big old fat five-star review, and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash T-A-M, as in truth about marketing. And if you'd like to uh, learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro, do all that on the inside of the members area of copychief.com. And I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.